Welcome to the program. Always an honor to sit in for Jim, play a my neutral, contributing to the biggest and most important show in our industry. An early Happy New Year greeting from all of us to all of you. This is the final program of the year. My gift to you, although you might view it in a very different fashion, is I'll be back with you on Monday. We'll do it live with all the fallout from a monster sports weekend. I am a radio fanatic. I'm 30 seconds into the program, and I'm already forward promoting to Monday. Why don't I tell you what's coming up over the next three hours? We will dissect what happened last night. Throughout the final Thursday night game of the season, Joe Flacco remains unstoppable. Cleveland is America's team. Clinching a playoff spot. I'll give you all my takeaways from what happened last night, and we will project forward because amazingly, beyond clinching a playoff berth last night, Cleveland is still mathematically alive to be the top seed in the AFC, and the scenarios are not that challenging. It's all coming up. We'll get you fully lined up for a monumental Weekend across the NFL that continues tomorrow with a marquee matchup of playoff teams. I thought the Lions were also America's team. We can have more than one. We are diverse. In fact, I got a nugget for you. I'll give it to you in a couple moments. When was the last time both the Browns and the Lions had 11 victories? I will not play the Jeopardy music. It's been a minute, 1953. That was my ninth year in radio, and I was clutching a much larger microphone then. So, a ton to get to. In addition to the NFL, bowl season rolls along. Four more bowls that you don't care about today. But coming up in hour number two of the program, because I do my best never to overwhelm you with guests, just two today. As was the case yesterday, and just like 24 hours ago, no guest in the first hour of the program, so plenty of opportunities for us to interact. Coming up at 1.40 Eastern time, deep into hour number two, we'll focus on the national semifinals, Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl looming on Monday when we check in with Chris Vanini of The Athletic, in addition to all the football. I'm going to try to handle adroitly final content block at 2.40 Eastern time. We'll bring in a great friend of the program. Since gambling is becoming a larger feature here in the jungle, I'm going to lay the under-over at three and a half questions posed to the loquacious and comprehensive Will Brinson of CBS Sports. Got to get to just a little bit of NBA. Piston fan. <sighs> Exhaling dramatically. I was going back and forth, although streaming, I got a streaming rant in the final hour of the program because I'm burning all my professional bridges, napalming some, heading into the new year. It is impossible to flip back and forth cleanly when I'm marooned on a streaming platform, but because the Browns had so dominated that first quarter, I felt good about missing some of Al Michaels telling stories in the second quarter, watching a game that I'm still trying to process in Boston. And I keep saying to myself, the Pistons aren't that bad, right? And things like, how in the world do they find another way to lose? I'll give you the grisly details coming up in the next hour. If you did not track that game last night, you should have. Just like NORAD tracking St. Nick on Christmas Eve. 
Pistons had a 21-point lead. They were 17-point underdogs against a Celtic team that still has not lost at home all season long, still has the best record in the East, make it 28 straight losses, tying the NBA and overall record of all the North American team sports for futility. Yesterday, and I didn't go in-depth with this because I'm too much of a narcissist looking for any shred of glory I can pull my way. The great Jack Savage did it all. He's running the board. He's screening your tweets. He even put a phone call in the rotation, 1-800-636-8686. We're talking Joe Flacco in less than 60 seconds. Coming up in 15 minutes, your tweets at B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, and it is an ATP Friday. So hit me up with your emails, RomeAndHaveATake.com. Jack Savage is going to go through all of that. And do we have a breathalyzer on the other side of the glass? The countdown to a birthday for Jack is underway. I posed the question, do you want to discuss your personal life within the jungle and social media? And he told me he's living his best life. So I'll be a bigger radio hack than I normally am. What would you get Jack Savage for his birthday what's the gift for the man who has everything and is a soldier of fortune now here's the dilemma jack's gonna screen the tweets so i'm not gonna see the good ones but i'll enjoy them after the program when uncle brian's gonna hit the pinot noir not too hard though i'm working with you on monday live program no best of i'm with you on monday and we'll go through all the games across the nfl plus we'll go in depth on the bowls with that Joe Flacco is making me feel better about myself for a variety of reasons. I'm much older than Joe, but we like the notion of reinvention after all. I'm just keeping the chair warm for the Hall of Famer, who's got a great side hustle to his side hustle in the reinvention project. But I root for comeback stories, and I'm not going to get too autobiographical, but in our business resilience and availability are your best abilities and how can you not find it delightful unless you're a jet fan although i think jet fans have to appreciate what joe flacco was doing because remember this team moved on from him now let's not go completely insane with revisionist history joe flacco was middling at best i'll be positive during the holidays mediocre trying to be a backup in New York. Now, the argument was made, and Jim etched it out the day after Aaron Rodgers played those infamous four snaps and then snapped his Achilles on national TV. Joe Flacco was a name that Jim mentioned amongst the veteran quarterbacks that Jets could have brought in to back up the Coup Hunter or compete with. Zach Wilson, to give them a viable chance at being competitive this year. Because if you look at Cleveland, and you're a Jets fan, and you have the nice symmetry with Joe Flacco being cut cut and kicked to the curb by the Jets, not brought back, could have gone anywhere. Nobody wanted him. He was mowing his lawn six weeks ago. Now he's going to the playoffs with the best half of his career. He was dialed in last night with almost 300 yards in the first half alone, make it four consecutive games in which Flacco's had better than 300 passing yards. That correlates directly to the four-game winning streak. Remember, he did it all without Amari Cooper, who couldn't go because of the calf injury. The Jets' defense, I was told over the last two or three years, 
was one of the best in all of football. Where were they last night? They got carved up by Flacco, who was playing like it was the 2012 season that he parlayed into a trip to the Super Bowl when the lights went out in New Orleans. How do I know? I was there, as Cosell once said, and he was the Super Bowl MVP. But if you're a Jet fan and you're looking at Cleveland and you're thinking, okay, let us connect the key components here. Allegedly, the Jets have a formidable defense. Well, we know Cleveland certainly does beyond just their ferocity. They are opportunistic, and we saw it when the game turned in that first quarter, which was wildly entertaining. And I've been extremely critical of Thursday Night Football. It's not a novel assessment. In an ideal world, we would not have Thursday games if player safety meant anything more than just a buzzword, just PR spin from the league. You would never ask these athletes to turn around from a Sunday in which they're involved in several car wrecks and have their bodies back on the field four days later. But, of course, nothing's going to change because of all the money. But as that game was playing out and momentum's going back and forth and you have the teams combining for three consecutive drives to kick things off with possessions of longer than 75 yards leading to the touchdown, Jets fumble the kickoff. Kevin Stefanski's aggressive rather than settling for the field goal, goes for it on fourth and short, doesn't convert, but the Jets, being the Jets, hand it right back with the Trevor Simeon pick six. 20 to 7, that point should have been a bigger Cleveland lead, and they did not look back. But if you're a Jet fan and you're looking at the framework of success in Cleveland, remember the Browns have had more injuries than the Jets. Nick Chubb is their best player, undeniably. If we're talking about lining up the rosters, the Jets still theoretically had the ability to run the football with Brees Hall, who had the ability to find the end zone early on last night for Gang Green. And Dalvin Cook, which I will have to go back and burn the tape. I might have been sitting in this chair over the summer saying the team that signs Dalvin Cook will find their way to the postseason in the AFC East, as I thought it was going to come down to the Jets and the Bills, swing and a miss. So the Jets, with a better ground game, theoretically a comparable defense, why did the Jets not find themselves in the situation that Cleveland was in last night? I think so much of it comes down to coaching. I'm going to talk about that in detail in the final hour. I know Robert Sala is great for this show and all content Creators, he's a good soundbite. He's keeping receipts. We know that. Not talking about a microwave culture. It's all about instant coffee. But if you look at what Kevin Stefanski has done in Cleveland compared to what Robert Sala has failed to achieve in New York, and I understand we're talking about the Jets, and I've worked hard to lose most of my East Coast accents, but I grew up. In the New York Tri-State area, my old man was too cheap to take us to giant games. You could get more affordable. I'll be nice to the late, great, big guy. We could get tickets to go see the Jets play at Chase Stadium when that was a sewer in the early 1980s. So I say that to say this. I am painfully aware of the futility of the Jets for decades. There's a reason why they now have the longest current drought in North American team sports for not making the postseason. But coaching matters, and roster composition is crucial, and that's the key point of differentiation between the Browns and Jets. 
But to me, that was one of the interesting elements last night because I'm watching Cleveland. I'm thinking, this could have been the Jets. The difference, and nobody knew Joe Flacco was going to do this, the difference was Cleveland stumbled across with their fourth quarterback this year. First team to make the playoffs, having started four different quarterbacks. And how does Deshaun Watson feel, if he's capable of feelings right now? How's that deal looking, Cleveland? And I'm not trying to in any way dampen your enthusiasm. Go crazy in Cleveland. You've earned it. Just the third playoff trip since 1999. But for all the euphoria surrounding Joe Flacco, it's also an indictment of the Jets and failing to prepare for what if Aaron Rodgers went down. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. Your interaction is on the way in 10 minutes. You can hit me up, 1-800-636-8686. Conversation was good on Twitter yesterday. Let's keep it going. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. As for Flacco, I'm trying to think of the comp. Now, if you are a cynic, and I realize the foundation of sports talk radio is to go negative, you could say he's overdue to come crashing down. And you don't have to go beyond this season to think of several comps. I'm going to tell you why. It's a fallacy, but I'll go through the exercise. Josh Dobbs. Remember when we put him in the Hall of Fame? And that was feeling like a made-for-TV movie? Well, talk about a franchise that's moved on to quarterback number four, but I don't think Minnesota's going to be in the playoffs. They now are going with Jaron Hall, the rookie out of BYU, because Dobbs imploded. Tommy DeVito, the insanity Of the New York football giants. That didn't last long. Like leaving the veal parmesan out and not putting saran wrap on top of it. That cheese is going to melt. Jake Browning woke up last week against the Steelers and remembered he's Jake Browning. So in the year of unprecedented injuries at the quarterback position, we have seen guys get hot and then just as quickly crash and burn. What's different about Flacco? He's got a much better supporting cast and clearly a better resume. So, to me, the comp is, and maybe a bit of a stretch, but I thought this at least had some intellectual honesty to it. I see linkage between Flacco now and Nick Foles in the Eagles' run to the Super Bowl in 2018. Now, different circumstances because Foles was pressed into duty later in the season. Remember... Now, the Carson Wentz has lost his confidence and lost his ability to get on the field. He's still unemployed. We forget how good Carson Wentz was prior to going down with that knee injury at the L.A. Coliseum against the Rams. Carson Wentz was the frontrunner to be the MVP. But much like Joe Flacco was benefiting from... The Philadelphia Eagles had a tremendous team that year, and Foles got incredibly hot. Now, I am heading into the danger zone. I know the problem I've created. I've mentioned Nick Foles. Do not tweet me, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, that you're going to get Jack Savage a thermos for his birthday. I get the joke. I don't need the Nick Foles reset times 500. But I don't think that's a stretch. Because Foles had had success prior to the magical performance in the 2018 Super Bowl in Minnesota, in which I fret 
like the rest of the media, froze my tookus off and was on Radio Row at a mall, a very glamorous assignment at the Mall of America. But we've seen something similar to this, but obviously key differences. Foles was younger. Foles was not out of football entirely. Now, he bounced around the league, but Joe Flacco has done the unthinkable. And at some point, we have to acknowledge this is much more than an aberration. Because as I mentioned, not only is Cleveland going back to the playoffs and Poor one out for Baker Mayfield because I gave you the overall metric, just the third playoff appearance since 1999. Remember, they were there four years ago when Baker was beat up and got him to the postseason. But if you are thinking about how things could develop coming up throughout the rest of the weekend, the path for Cleveland to the top seed is not that outrageous. It requires a Dolphin win over the Ravens. I'm going to break that game down in detail coming up. Remember... Among the three teams to beat Baltimore this year are your Cleveland Browns. That's step one. Next week, the Browns would have to defeat the Bengals. I think they can achieve that goal. The Ravens would have to lose to the Steelers. That's a stretch, but the Ravens have lost to the Steelers. Remember this, though, about Baltimore. The Ravens have had the lead at the two-minute warning in each of their three losses. They could be undefeated. And then the final scenario would be the Bills defeating the Dolphins. Buffalo has already defeated Miami. So I'm not going to run through the probability machine. I don't like math. It's not my friend. But I saw somewhere it's less than 10% that Cleveland could do all those things. But we have seen even more bizarre sequences of events in the NFL. And the fact that Cleveland, on quarterback number four, who's pushing 40, who did not have a job six weeks ago and was cut by the Jets, has put it all together, reminds us of why we love the NFL so much, because parody is also code for mediocrity. Yes, some of the football is sloppy and unwatchable, but it's also wildly unpredictable, just like the Pistons. Well, that was predictable. Blowing a 19-point lead. I'm going to talk about the NBA coming up one hour from now, but if you want to join the football conversation, pick up the phone, 1-800-636-8686. Emails on an ATP Friday. RomanAvatech.com. Your tweets are on the way. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Coming up, in addition to your interaction... I had another 24 hours to process the Russell Wilson story. And I mentioned potential landing spots for Russ yesterday. And I talked about the Patriots, the Falcons, and the Raiders. Are we overlooking a couple teams in the NFC East? I'll give you the particulars as we continue. And why is Sean Payton not being held accountable for this failure, quote-unquote, of a season with the Broncos missing out on the playoffs for the eighth consecutive year. Just getting warmed up on a monster Friday. Great to have you with us as we roll on in the jungle. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. A reminder, with the ATP looming, you, the clones, have the opportunity to ask me a question. Brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Go to cbssportsradio.com slash pro. Submit your question. Be listening later in the show. I could answer your question. Thank O'Reilly Auto Parts for all your car care needs. Get the parts and service you need fast from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
You're listening. Birthday weekend. Jack Savage is taking us to the Headbangers Ball. I'm Brian Weber in for Ricky Rackman. The kid's looking at me like I'm speaking Greek. Google, my friend. The 90s were a better time. In for Jim Rome. We are live, heading into a giant sports weekend. I'll be live with you on Monday. I'm not trying to belabor the self-promotion more than normal, but if you're a hardcore clone, you know the typical rhythms. When Jim's not here on a major holiday, it's best of. But given everything going on across the NFL and college football, the executives made the wise decision. I would have been available either way, but they were kind enough to extend me the opportunity to be with you on Monday. So if you can't get through today because we're about to hit the phone lines, which are blowing up, and that is a rarity for yours truly, you can give me a call on Monday. I give out the number for a reason because we're about to head there. 1-800-636-8686. Talking Russell Wilson in two minutes. Talking college football in less than 15 minutes. When Florida State gets annihilated by Georgia in the Orange Bowl tomorrow, do not tweet at me. The selection committee got it right. Details on the way. First, as promised, your reaction. Can an essay remains prolific. Not only a volume shooter, he knocks them down as well. Webbs, my top five comeback players of the year in no particular order. One, Joe Flacco. Two, Joe Flacco the second. Three, Joe Flacco the third. You see where this is going. Four, Joe Vincent Flacco and five, Joseph Vincent Flacco, sincerely Jay Flacco, and that's getting us way back in jungle lore when allegedly Joe Flacco called the program, but we're not going to play the hits today. Atwood Laconic, thank you, Webbs. I might have a shot to best my wife at Scrabble this weekend. Apparently, I'm throwing out the big words with alacrity, war, Pinot Noir, and my B-Web limited edition thesaurus. Finally, Planet Wilson won. Brian, thanks in advance for focusing on, undeniably, the biggest news story of the day. Darren Woodson being a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yours, my epic Cowboy fans. To connect what we did yesterday to today, if you weren't with us, where were you? Enjoy the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Congratulations once more to my close personal friend and former broadcast partner, Eric Allen, years overdue after being a semifinalist many times. He made the cut to being one of 15 finalists for enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he is overdue to get the official call from the Hall. Let us venture over to the phone lines, 1-800-636-8686. Take you to the Lone Star State. Here's Jake in Texas. Hey, Jake, you're on with Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. What's up? Hey, what's up, man? I just wanted to speak on a couple things. The floor is yours, my man. Hey, yeah, Joe Flacco is doing great. He's, what, 4-1 and since taking over? Yes, sir. Okay, and why is it an indictment on... Watson, when Watson was 5-1 as a starter. Do you want to have I mean, the whole Deshaun Watson conversation? Well, I'm just saying. like, okay. there's, there's Has Joe a, Flacco been suspended for 11 games? Should I keep going? That ain't got nothing to do Has with Joe Flacco been accused of sexual assault by multiple women? Should I keep going? That, that's Thank you, personal. Jake. Goodbye, Jake. I was making the comparison of body of work. And let me just say, prior to this wave of horrendous behavior, and I no longer have to say, allegedly, I was a Deshaun Watson fan. Now, I probably, like most people, evaluate interaction with folks 
based on how they deal with me. And I was lucky to interview Deshaun Watson twice. Humble, nice person. I know his backstory. I know how active he has been with charity. Grew up in a home that Warwick Dunn helped to underwrite. A phenomenal player. And then everything changed. And Jake, I'm sorry, I have a disconnect. I cannot separate Deshaun Watson, the person, from Deshaun Watson, the football player. And if we're just talking about Deshaun Watson, the football player, unfortunately, he's not been healthy this year. And I wasn't rooting against him. Now, I have a problem with the Browns framing that deal the way they did, just as I'm about to be critical once more of the Broncos overpaying from a standpoint of draft capital. I have no issue with the guaranteed money. In fact, if I can do this succinctly, I'm always pro-player. For lack of a better term, I'm pro-talent in any industry. I want to support those who create the revenue more so than those who benefit from the labor out there, either gripping a microphone or on the field. Watson lost me with a pattern of abhorrent behavior. And I've not seen real contrition. He has said begrudgingly the right things. Now, thankfully, maybe this was just a bizarre episode in his life. It's behind him. We've not heard anything similar to it since he got to Cleveland. I believe in second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. But I cannot divorce myself from a summation of... Deshaun Watson, that does not include not only the allegations, but the proven facts based on the NFL's investigation and a neutral third party and a retired judge coming up with the 11-game suspension. And Watson's other issue is now he just can't stay healthy. Not his fault, but isn't it fascinating that Cleveland gave him the richest Contract in NFL history with the most guaranteed money. They went all in with all the assets. Remember all the picks they gave up as well. And now it's Joe Flacco, of all people, guiding them to the playoffs. That's really a reflection of the grand unpredictability of the NFL, more so than anything Watson did wrong this year. But yes, if I sound committed and intense about the Watson topic, I am. And I think we all in our lives... Hopefully you've not dealt with it. If, you, if you've ever had sexual assault brush up against your family, I think you're going to speak passionately about it. I'll leave it there. Russell Wilson, let me connect just the contract to Deshaun Watson. Obviously now, the Wilson deal is going to go down as one of the worst contracts in NFL history right there with Watson and Herschel Walker. However, I find it very interesting and I need a life. I need some hobbies since I keep now paring down things in my life. Maybe I'll take advantage of the additional free time and go back to stamp collecting. I stopped in 1986. I have a lot of work to do. I'm sure that will really help me on a Friday night. I could come into a watering hole with my stamp collection and my paper and my... I'm having flashbacks to being a senior in high school. It was a wonderful time. My point is this. I listened to way too much sports media, and I heard a lot of this yesterday, which just freaks me out. Again, maybe this is my bias that I support those who create the revenue more so than those who provide the 
infrastructure. I'll put it that way. Executives or owners. I heard a lot of hosts saying yesterday, well, Russ has made a lot of money. Why didn't he just restructure his contract? Why didn't he give the guaranteed money back? And the answer is, who would? What are you, insane? You know how hard it is to get guaranteed money in the NFL? It's never going to happen again because of Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson had to go through that ordeal in a sports sense, a farce of a contract process in which no one would give him even an offer sheet just to get the money he deserved from Baltimore. But that is absolutely ludicrous. Russ didn't have to do anything because he negotiated a deal. All right, I'll frame it this way. Why didn't the Broncos go to Sean Payton and say, hey, coach, you're not going to make the playoffs for the eighth consecutive year, or we as a franchise aren't going to achieve that goal. Why don't you give us some of your guaranteed money back? It it is just bizarre to me, the bootlicking that goes on in sports media, the deference we have to head coaches and owners somehow because either they're wearing a visor or they have billions of dollars, that they are going to be infallible. Yes, I understand the football rationale to move on from Russell Wilson, but don't tell me that he should have given up a dime of the guaranteed money. That's a Bronco problem. It was a negotiation. As for where he's going to go, I'll hit pause. I'll get back to this in the final hour. When we say hello to Will Brinson of CBS Sports, I mentioned the Patriots. I mentioned the Falcons. I think the Raiders are a real possibility. Remember, Russ is getting all that guaranteed money. He can play for the minimum elsewhere to help his new team with the cap issues. Don't overlook the Commanders. And the Giants are interesting because the Daniel Jones deal has a lot more flexibility after next season. And remember, I'm telling you, Russ can go wherever he wants to, considering, this is a big supposition, if there is mutual interest, but he's getting $39 million either way from the Broncos, and that's going to help out his new team a great deal. I'm Brian Weber, getting passionate 35 minutes into the program. Jack's looking at me like, can I start my birthday now? i got to sit around for this old guy screaming and clutching the microphone. Coming up, we will lighten the mood. Oh, no, we won't. We're talking college sports and why it's fundamentally broken. But I will be upbeat as we get you set for the national semifinals. I do want to have a rational conversation about Florida State because I know what's coming up tomorrow. They're going to lose by 35 to Georgia in part because of all of these opt-outs. Do not tweet at me then tomorrow. The committee got... Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest host Brian Weber on CBS Sports Radio. Motoring ahead, getting closer to the second hour of the program. We've already hit our quota for one phone call today. We can double it up, though, at 1-800-636-8686. And I do my best to format the show in a way which maximizes your ability to interact. Coming up in the next hour of the show, another round of thoughts on Twitter It is an ATP Friday. We'll pay that off in the final hour of the program. So keep the emails coming at RomanHaveATake.com, 1-800-636-8686. 
And hit me up on the X, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, in 15 minutes as we kick off the second hour. We'll make the move to the NFC after going heavy on Cleveland and the AFC to start the program. Lions and Cowboys, a mega matchup tomorrow. Another gift from the NFL. All we do is give them 16, 18, $20 billion in revenue, and in return, they give us watchable games. And here's the beauty of the NFL. If it was a stock, it would be Amazon. And what a wonderful piece of business that is. The NFL and Amazon, now corporate partners, even if the matchups are crappy, we watch because we're addicted to football. And because I got my juices going there, raising my voice on the phone call, I will skip my getting stale now. I'm going to self-critique on the air. The tedious rant about there's too many crappy bowl games because I'm not going to tell you what to watch nor what to do. And I know why they exist. They generate real ratings. Now, my dilemma is, and it's my own problem, if I'm not going to watch a matchup in the regular season, I'm not going to watch it in an exhibition format in front of 17 people and having to figure out who the third-string quarterback is that's now playing because of all the opt-outs, which I fully support. Because players, back to my notion that those who generate the revenue should be dealt with respectfully and also participate in those profits, players have every right to say, for who, for what, why am I playing this game? But as we get closer to the 12-team playoff coming up a year from now, that you've all been clamoring for, the trade-off is going to come down to a few things. I'm not going to care who the 13th team was. That's going to get screwed. Because if you're number 13, you shouldn't be in the national championship conversation. And these bowl games are going to be even less relevant. Now, at the same time, because I was damn lucky in the early stages of my career to have opportunities extended to me that, in retrospect, I wasn't ready for. I probably did not deserve, but you're not going to say no. But I've been a part of college programs for better part now of 35 years. So, for example, Oregon State, Notre Dame, put the Sam Hartman opt-out aside along with other big names. The Sun Bowl is actually a well-run and festive atmosphere in El Paso. 1996, I called the Sun Bowl when Stanford matched up with Michigan State and Nick Saban was a pain in the ass all week long. Part of my job responsibility as the radio voice of the Stanford Cardinal, I had to track down the opposing head coach for the obligatory five-minute interview to say nothing. Getting Saban, even working with the nice people of Michigan State, where my dad went to school, I must have mentioned that 39 times, Getting Saban was like trying to book the Pope. I guess you got to pay for him, as we're finding out on other programs these days. But I should have whipped out a 20. Excuse me while I whip this out. So I'm not bashing all these games. I understand why they exist if you're connected to any of these schools on any level. As an alum, a regional linkage. You just like football. I get it. But when we get to this 12-team playoff and it's going to generate Monster ratings. That's, I think, part of the reasoning, 
in addition to the obvious point that the SEC was not going to be left out, that Florida State did get screwed, although the committee is going to get bailed out with all the opt-outs, and I'll go through that with their game against Georgia coming up tomorrow at the Orange Bowl. When we get to the 12-team playoff, it's going to not only make the regular season less impactful and meaningful because we won't have any of the elimination games. For instance, Ohio State versus Michigan has had so much resonance because of the stakes. Next year, it's about seeding. Vastly different. But these bowl games are going to be even more of a waste of time. Still, I don't think they're going to be reduced. We have 41 bowl games this year. Plus, the natty, as Jim likes to say, and you can never bet against the power of football. And I realize I'm in the minority here. And I'm not just doing the lame, I'm the guest host, pick up the handbook, go to page 17, and rip on the bowls. I gave you my experience. I was lucky enough to... Ring in the new millennium at the Rose Bowl. One of the highlights of my personal and professional life. I'm one of those people that grew up watching the Rose Bowl, freezing my tuchus off on January 1st, saying I want to live in California. And the fact that I am 25 miles away from Pasadena has a lot of personal meaning. So I'm not telling you what to watch, but I am giving you pushback that somehow I'm supposed to care about these games. I do care about Florida State. And when we have the conversation with Chris Vanini coming up at 1.40 Eastern time, does a fine job of covering what's happening on campus for the athletic. And we will get into the details of what the game between Alabama and Michigan could come down to. If you've not been paying attention, Jim Harbaugh has lost six consecutive bowl games. How much could he use a win? Now, the answer is... He's going to be just fine either way because either Michigan gives him over $100 million or the Chargers or the Bears give him a boatload of cash. But since we seem wrapped up in legacy, one in six is now putting Harbaugh in the conversation to be the Bob Stoops of his generation. Big game, Jim Harbaugh. And I'm doing my best to be balanced because I love to support West Coast football. Nobody's talking about Washington, Texas. I think a much more interesting matchup. We'll get there coming up with Chris Vanini. I'm also going to ask him when Florida State gets absolutely boat raced by Georgia, how much of the predictable I told you so can we be bracing for? Because I fully understand why the committee did what they did. Once Jordan Travis went down, everything changed. And since my act is largely driven on history, I'm old enough to remember with the comparison to the NCAA tournament when Cincinnati was number one in the nation, lost Kenyon Martin, the selection committee adjusted the seating because they didn't have their star. Vastly different, though, when we're talking about the field of 64 or 68, if you care about the first four, I don't, than a precious four slots. But Florida State deserved to be in the playoff. Now, you don't get what you deserve. I understand. And it's a business. Just follow the money. But since we overlook so much of what actually happened on the field, Alabama was wobbly for the first six weeks. You only have to go back the week before the SEC title game when they should have lost to Auburn. Not a vintage War Eagle team either. A six-win Auburn team. 
if Jalen Milrow doesn't pull off the miracle, 4th and 31, Bama is knocked out of contention. Although, knowing the SEC, I'm, I'm now contradicting myself, Alabama with two losses as the SEC champion would have gotten in. Because it's the SEC and they run the sport. But let's not overlook the injustice that occurred. And I have no investment in Florida State. In fact, I'm anti-ACC because my alma mater has made a horrendous decision based on having no options to join that conference. And I'm not going to watch one minute of Stanford taking on Florida State in basketball. Who cares? The sport is becoming more and more broken. But when Florida State gets destroyed by a better Georgia team with fewer opt-outs, I don't want to hear, there's your validation. The committee was spot on. This team was not deserving because record has to matter. Context has to have importance. And again, I'm the Don Quixote of filling guys chasing these windmills. Everything's going to be different next year. But be careful what you wish. Better. More football is the ideal outcome. But in the process, we're sacrificing the integrity of the regular season. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. More of your phone calls are a possibility. 1-800-636-8686. I can guarantee more of your tweets coming up in the next hour of the show. That is B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. We're going to ease in to hour number two. Getting you set for Detroit and Dallas. Should you be concerned, Lion fan, about the state of your defense? I know you're concerned in Detroit about the state of the Pistons. Are they ever going to win a game? We'll tackle that as well. Weber in for Rome here on CBS Sports Radio.